1: Danielle Paradis, part two, the sequel.
0: Danny Land. Welcome to Danny Land, Jesse.
1: A return to paradise. Uh, (laughs) We'll work on it. Contributing editor to Canada Land, joining us from Edmonton, Danny, today on the show, Truckers for Freedom or the Flu Truck's Clan? Just what the truck is happening. And the CBC has never been less popular. Let's give it more money or destroy it. Those those seem to be our two options. We better pick one. Welcome back to Shortcuts to Anywhere. We talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to everybody by James Sell, Devin Wiles, David Brown, Shay Ald, Darren Gusny, Winter Labucan, Vivi Diaz, and Jim. Hi, my name is Jim. I'm a software engineer in Waterloo. And I support Canada Land because Jesse and his team shine a light in the dark spaces, either completely ignored or superficially covered by the mainstream media. While the truth may be sometimes uncomfortable to hear, the importance of trustworthy journalism in our post-truth world cannot be overstated. Keep up the good work, Canada Land. So, Danny, I'm glad you are with us again because you were here when I promised our listeners that Canada land was going to rigorously cover supply chain issues that were threatening to interrupt my access to frothy organic milk for my latte. Yep. <laughs> From grass fed cows. I didn't mention that, but uh, specific interest there. I'm glad that we were on that story early because uh, according to the Twitter feeds of various conservative MPs, the grocery shelves uh, all across Canada are bare and the truckers of Canada are united taking a stand for me and on behalf of my god given right as a downtown torontonian west side to access my choice of boutique dairy product and other consumer goods in a timely and affordable fashion the country's thoughts and prayers are with you a vaccine mandate for truckers is the driving force behind a cross-country convoy headed to Ottawa. They want the government to scrap the policy. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney tweeted photos of empty grocery store shelves, blaming the mandate and calling for the policy to end. The latest pushback on vaccine mandates from truck drivers draws a parallel with Canada's ongoing divide over public health restrictions. It prompts the question
0: as to whether policy is matching the science.
1: Okay, so none of what I said earlier uh, was accurate. Let's actually try to figure out what the hell is going on with this trucker's protest. And figuring out what is going on has not been easy through media reports and through all the social media churn around this. Danielle, you live in Alberta, so I assume that you speak trucker. Um, (laughs) It's like, I just assume all dogs are boys and all cats are girls and all truckers (laughs) are Albertans. Okay. What is your understanding? What... (laughs) What is your understanding of this big honking protest? Like you've said, there's a lot.
0: I don't think that only Albertans are going to be able to understand this. But let's let's try and um, let's try and stick with some some basic facts. So we have the trucker convoy, which is organized by Canada Unity, and we have the GoFundMe, which is organized by Tamara Litch, who is the secretary of a loser fringe party in Alberta called the Maverick Party. And um, in the midst of all of that, we ha- also have Canadian often conservative politicians weighing in, talking about supply chain issues, posting pictures of empty grocery store shelves, uh, some of which are stock photography, uh, some of which may be real. So there's a lot of confusion going around here. I would just have to say, I think that Justin Trudeau is the real winner as he's off at some virtual cabinet retreat and we're all here pissing each other off uh, about vaccinations. You have the Canadian Trucking Alliance, who's denounced the protest, saying that they don't believe that public roads are an appropriate place to advocate government policy, which I think is an insane thing to say. And it's also very crazy to watch people using this as evidence for why the truck convoy is bad. And then you have the working class truckers themselves, the majority who have been vaccinated, but there's a loud and vocal minority, as there has been this entire time, who are anti-vax. Now, when it comes to Canada, Unity in particular, I would say it's very fair to call them Anti vaccine. They have on their website uh, regarding the convoy, they've got a list of what they call evidence where they point to Dr. Robert Malone, who's a discredited former vaccine scientist. They have the World Health Organization on PCR testing. So they're trying to indicate that testing doesn't really work and, you know, MNRA vaccines are bad. Uh, So I think it's totally fair to put them into the anti vax uh, category. Within this Canada Unity group, you have people like Pat King, who are tied to like United We Roll" and other um, conservative agitations like Wexit. Uh, It'd be fair to say that he's been aligned with people who have white supremacist ideology. uh, And he's not the only organizer going on. So there's your quick
1: analysis. What you just gave me is so much more informative than what I got as a newsreader. I want to tell you a little story from a newsreader's point of view of, like, how this came to my attention and how hard it was to figure out what it actually is, which we'll get into more detail on as well. The first inkling I got about this, as I sipped on my latte here in Toronto, was a local news story from CBC British Columbia. Truckers protest dangerous conditions on B.C. highways, That's the first story I read about this. I'm not saying that that was the first story written about it, but that's the first story I read. And it was the first story I read, not because I pay close attention to local British Columbia coverage of road conditions. It's because that story was being seized upon and went viral out of angry outrage. And as far as I can tell, what happened was this, the actual anti-vaccine mandate truckers convoy protest is big. It's gotten bigger as it's rolled across the country, but it began big. And I think, like any protest and like any protesters, you're like, where's my media attention for my big protest? And the first story that caught a lot of the protesters' and their supporters' attention was CBC reporting not on their protest, but on some other truckers' protest, right? That there's some other truckers also from BC, also in a convoy protesting dangerous road conditions. And this was seized upon as evidence of media misinformation, that essentially the, the the allegation was the CBC, Justin Trudeau's CBC, doesn't want the public to know what we're really protesting. So they're lying to the public and they're pretending that, oh, did you see all this truckers protesting? They're protesting road conditions. Now, in fact, in that CBC story, it says this is a different protest than the Sunday rally against vaccine mandates. So there is that distinction made in the story. But I will admit, it is pretty damn confusing as a newsreader. I'm like, wait, there are two trucker rally convoy protests and they're completely unrelated to each other? That... Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's trucker convoys protesting things all the time, you know? Maybe it's a busy schedule. But in any event, the reason why that story went viral was it fed into the protesters' narrative about themselves that the media is not going to give them the attention they deserve. In fact, there's been copious coverage. But even there, I found it hard to ultimately understand what this is about. And you've pointed us into the right direction, but I think some of these headlines pointed us in the wrong direction, which is not to say they're inaccurate, but the focus—I'll read some of them here— Uh, Manitoba truckers parade vehicles to protest federal vaccine rules. Freedom Convoy leaves B.C. for Ottawa to protest trucker vaccine mandate. Uh, Here, federal government won't budge on vaccine mandate for truckers. So this was really presented widespread as truckers protesting truck related issues. Yes, it has to do with vaccine mandates, but it's about how vaccine mandates are affecting truckers. And the Globe and Mail decided they would do it through the point of view of, like, the Truckers Alliance denounces this protest. You know, uh, I think there was a lot of consternation in newsrooms, like, do we want to really boost this? But it is happening. And then they presented it as something that is really specific to truckers' issues. No. It's part of it is that Canada has introduced this new vaccine mandate where if you want to come back into Canada, you have to be double vaxxed or else you got to quarantine. But that's almost like a moot point because America has the same rules. If you just click on to what the protest organizers say themselves, if they're interviewed or if you go to their GoFundMe page or their Facebook page, here, I'll read from it. The time for political overreach is over. Our current government is implementing rules and mandates that are destroying the foundation of our businesses, industries, and livelihoods. We demand they cease all mandates against its people. So this is, as you pointed out, an anti-vax protest against All lockdowns, vaccine mandates, and as it has rolled through the country, it seems to me that this is where all of the anti-vax energy, all of the anti-lockdown energy has converged. All the anti-Trudeau energy from even before the lockdown, if you remember the Yellow Vests, if you remember United We Roll, if you remember Wexit, as you point out, the Maverick Party, all of that right-wing energy is converging on a convoy of trucks headed to Ottawa right now. As you also pointed out Danny, I'm not it's not that this protest itself is necessarily like everybody in that convoy is a white nationalist, but you better believe that there are many white nationalists, white supremacists, anti-immigrant individuals jumping on board. They're in that convoy too. They're heading to Ottawa, and if you read their demands, they're politically illiterate, but they're explicit. They're demanding from the Governor General and from the Senate, <laughs> that's for some reason. That all mandates against humankind cease immediately or else they won't call off what they're calling Operation Bear Hug Ottawa. Mm-hmm. So what is Operation Bear Hug Ottawa? Fucking A, guys. Let's get pumped for this. Let's go to fucking Ottawa. Let's go. Let's, I want to see one of those truckers. I wouldn't prize. Not none of our guys, obviously, but I, I would like to see our own January 6th event. See some of those truckers plow right through that sixteen foot wall. None of us, of course. I just like to see it. <laughs> Maybe that's Operation Bear Hug. <sighs> yeah,
0: it's. Um, I, I mean, there's certainly some really alarming things coming out. You referenced a little bit earlier. You're actually reading from the Memorandum of Understanding, which was written by Canadian Unity, where they're demanding all vaccine restrictions immediately cease, and it's written in this terrible legalese. It becomes challenging to parse these these things because a part of the organizing is also preemptively saying that you can't believe the media. So people that are predisposed to support this group are predisposed to not listen to us when we're trying to tell them that there are in fact white nationalists among them, even if they themselves don't hold that sympathy. And now this is everywhere, Jesse, like last night, I fell into this rabbit hole of trying to make sure I was ready for Canada land, listening to everything that I could find going into the Facebook groups. But then, you know, to relax, I went into my Métis foodie Facebook group and there was people arguing in there about the truckers and uh, and there's Indigenous people supporting the truckers. And you're going to find people who are not white who are truck drivers. Uh, and and mm-hmm. don't let that be a distraction. Like you can still be a part of a white nationalist organization or a group that has white nationalist goals without yourself being a white nationalist, a lot of people get tripped up on that.
1: There is media work being done to go through the biographies of the people involved. You know, that clip that that we played earlier was from a YouTuber named Derek Harrison, who has a far-right YouTube channel. One of the organizers, uh, Pat King, Justin Ling, has been digging into this guy. The Canadian Anti-Hate Network tracks Pat King. He has previously said the only way this is going to be solved is with bullets. And he says that the military is on our side when he's talking about what's going to happen in Ottawa. And I think that there's a trap where if you start to kind of like find these figures, even if they're involved at the head of organization of this, and you find that they have made violent statements and you find that they have racist connections, there are so many people now involved in this convoy and funding it and cheering it on that are not even aware of that, that that itself gets characterized as, oh, the media is trying to dismiss everything that's happened. There is a movement happening. It's the biggest protest. Like, it is the biggest news story in Canada right now. I'm worried about what's going to happen this weekend. But I think there's a trap where if you do point out those things, there's so many people involved who themselves are oblivious to it, just as in January 6th in Washington, there were so many protesters who were not necessarily there as white nationalists or to zip tie AOC and take over the government, they were just kind of like along for the ride. And then what do you know? They're taking part in an attempted coup. Even reporters themselves in minimizing this to like, this is about the truckers beef with the vaccine mandate for truckers. Reporter Grant LaFleche tweeted, wait a second. So unvaccinated Canadian truckers who can't enter the U.S. without being vaccinated anyhow, are protesting in Canada because of a Canadian vaccine mandate to re-enter Canada from the U.S., which is a country they cannot currently enter because they're unvaccinated. And then we just dismiss them as like, this is a dumb protest from a bunch of aggrieved truckers. That's not what this is.
0: Yeah, it's organized by the right. But like you said, there's a, this giant coalition of people, some of whom are somewhat apolitical, certainly politically illiterate. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I just mean when you look at the MOU, which is like the basis of what we can assume Canada Unity has compiled their grievances in. You have the people who don't understand the separate levels of government. They don't understand the federal government's power. They fail to parse that a lot of the restrictions are, in fact, provincial because our health care systems are provincial. Now, whether they're misleading people deliberately or intentionally, that, that's hard to say.
1: But that almost becomes a reason to like downplay or dismiss or, or underplay what is happening right now. And what is happening is there is a mass populist uprising that is real, not just by virtue of how many vehicles are headed to Ottawa, but by virtue of the fact that as I speak, there's almost $6 million that have gone towards this protest. GoFundMe, by the way, has frozen those funds until they can get an accounting from the organizers as to where the money is going to go. But I don't care if they're protesting because they want to have more pink licorice. That is a massive news event that we all have to be really aware of and, and try to understand it. And instead, what I see is... More misinformation. This time, coming from conservative politicians, they want to catch a tiger by the tail, and I think that like they want part of the grievance, but not all of it. If they can kind of say like, okay, inflation is shooting up, and if we can characterize that like Trudeau has really fucked up this country, like he's gone too far. Like we're okay with the vaccine mandates and all kinds of. If we had to deal with the pandemic, we would have done some of the same things, but he's gone way too far, and as a result, our money's worth less. The grocery shelves are bare. And, you know, the country is failing and we have no rights, then we have a much heavier case to lead. And so we have Conservative MP Melissa Lansman sharing a picture of a woman at a grocery store staring at bare shelves. And somebody has even put, like, a City News logo on this. Like, this is a news report from Canada. And Press Progress did, like, a reverse image search and found that it's it's a stock photo that was shot in the U.K., that is actual fake news. Jason Kenny got involved in this too, that he's hearing about bare shelves in grocery stores. Like the inference is that because of Trudeau's trucker vaccine mandate, truckers can't get into Canada anymore and therefore we can't buy bread. And I think that's being completely debunked at this point. But we're in this information vortex. We're trying to figure out what's going on. It's becoming incredibly difficult. And part of that is actually coming straight from politicians themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now we have, as you've said, like there, it, it's a vortex. That's a really great word because that's what it feels like. There's information swirling around you. You and I are quite accustomed to paying attention to the news. And even we're struggling at some points to make sense of these stories. When you dive into grocery store closures or shortages, it does appear that there's a supply chain problem. Of course, you can't ignore that that's happening. Um, but you also have to look at, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and some of these grocery store closures that are being reported or or issues with uh, obtaining goods is because people are getting COVID. There's so many sick workers, it's hard to actually continue to operate the grocery store. And, you know, when you actually dig into some of these articles, they're looking for rapid tests, they're looking for uh, more support when it comes to getting grocery store workers working or PPE and maybe none of that would even work with Omicron, save the rapid tests, which would at least help to let people know if they could, uh, if it's safe for them to work or not for that day. <laughs> this is why at the beginning I said, I think the biggest winner here, despite the fact that the Conservatives are finding something to latch onto, is Justin Trudeau. I mean, he gets to shrug his shoulders and be like, well, almost 90% of truckers in Canada are vaccinated, which is the comments that he made on Monday when he was asked about the supply chain issue. And now he can point his fingers at, oh, this is the conservative party. This is the anti-vaxxers. These are all people that you need to be mad at. And you like, don't look over here. It's a really effective way to not have to answer for your own mistakes. And this is, this just goes into something we talk about at Shortcuts a lot, which is Canada doesn't take itself very seriously when it comes to governance issues. And this is a really good example of why they should, you know, everybody is sort of playing with this for their own political purposes and of course I think that's what you can expect from political people is a political response but I don't see a lot of consideration even in the press about you know what this means and what it means for us as a country what it means for a shared narrative Uh, like you I'm I'm pretty concerned with what's going to happen in three days when the convoy rolls into Ottawa.
1: Help As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Danny, let's duly note. What do you got? I'm going to start
0: with a really sad story coming out of the St. Joseph's Mission Residential School and Williams Lake First Nation Uh, out of the, uh, I'm just duly noting an article in the Toronto Star about 93 potential unmarked graves being found. So this story is continuing as we knew it would when the initial discoveries were found of um, potentially unmarked graves. And now we have a really terrible story uh, with Chief Willie Sellers talking about an investigation that uncovered stories of of torture, rape, forcible confinement, and exposure to extreme conditions, among other abuses. There's a graveyard that has the the possible unmarked graves, which are not necessarily accounted for in all of the government records. So far, this is still a story that's unfolding. But as we're talking about the um, Freedom Convoy, as we're talking about other protests that have gone on in Canada, it's really striking that, you know, th- this part of the history is is still real and we're still reckoning with it.
1: Duly noted. I want to duly note that we used to have a queer press in Canada, or at least like a more robust one. There still are outlets doing this kind of reporting, but fewer than before. And also, I think some of them are, are kind of connected to organizations like Pride Toronto, which might make it hard to report on them. What am I duly noting here? I'm duly noting a story that was not reported in the queer press, but was reported by a historian named Tom Hooper, who tweeted this out. Pretty concerning story that Pride Toronto, the organization behind uh, the Pride Festival, the Pride March, they raised $1.8 million from the federal government after agreeing to reverse uh, the ban on police participation and allegedly mishandled that money the three grants that Hooper tweeted about had all of this overlap of their deliverables, like three grants that had duplicate deliverables, you know? It's like one grant, give me this money for windows. Then you've got another grant that's like, uh, this is for a window pane. And then you've got a third one that's like, it's for the frame of the window, would be an analogy for this. Uh, he documents this all, and we'll put a link in the show notes. And then there's even more concerning stuff. Like, there were proposed projects that were never completed, like hiring 50 indigenous teachers and facilitators. That didn't happen, but they got the money. They misrepresented the artist Kent Monkman's involvement to get grant money. Uh, this is Canadian entrepreneurship, by the way. In America, it's like start a startup and, and make a fortune. In Canada, it's like grant application fraud <laughs> is the enterprising Canadians' way to make money. You're right. <laughs> um, We could teach courses from this country. They faked at least one endorsement letter for a grant application. This is an expose that happened on Twitter because this guy, Tom Hooper, did the work and showed it.
0: Yeah, it's really exceptional reporting by somebody who's not a journalist. I haven't seen this story really take off beyond Twitter, but I hope that the listeners will have a look at the reporting and call for some accountability. Now, of course, like I think nonprofits are often unfairly maligned and there's always this, oh, there's this assumption that they're always mishandling money. And yet here's a clear example of where that is actually happening and perhaps because of the nature of the organization there's not likely to be a lot of consequences like i think people are afraid to look like they're like unfairly targeting the queer community duly noted
1: denny you have one more for us
0: yes so sound the alarms because canadian identity is about to hit a new um, a new barrier and that is oh no, is the- <laughs> oh, no. Thank you. Thank you. An article out of the Narwhal talking about maple syrup meltdown. In a changing climate, what's to become of Canada's sweetest commodity? And now like this is simultaneously funny and concerning because it's funny because it's maple syrup. And that's like a very... That's a thing very tied to Canadian identity, although I would argue tied very much to Eastern Canadian identity, not really Western Canadian identity. We have buckets of oil, you have buckets of maple syrup. But a global maple syrup shortage has led to a massive withdrawal from Quebec's maple syrup reserves. Um, and there's a greater, and see, we're laughing, but with climate change, there's a greater threat to the supply. If you put on an indigenous lens, the maple water is a very meaningful thing to a lot of Anishinaabe communities. There's specific teachings on maple water and it's, it's healing properties, it's properties that like would help to sort of have you know Anishinaabe people survive the winter historically they could tap this tree get a source of sweetness and nutrients and um when it comes to like those little cans of maple syrup the memories of um of pouring them in the snow and making candy did your parents ever do that Jesse? Uh,
1: I think I did that like at school okay you know you avoid the yellow snow and do your best (laughs)
0: Right, like, but that's a real thing. Like maple syrup candy made in the snow is actually a part of Canada, and you know, thanks to climate change and the inability to deal with it, we could be looking at not having that historical thing anymore.
1: I mean, with all due respect to the tradition of maple water, uh, maple syrup's overrated.
0: (laughs) You're going to hell, Jesse (laughs)
1: Brown. Duly noted. I got one last one, which isn't even anything that necessarily requires or deserves wider attention, but I'm going to say it anyhow, we've ratified a collective agreement here with our union here at Canada Land. So, I mean, we, we, we've had the union since they unionized, like when they when they declared the unionization, that's sort of when it happened. But what ensued was like a year plus of the bargaining process, uh, which was like interesting and felt like I was in a movie at times. And I'm just proud that we are a unionized shop with the collective agreement. We got through it and... Uh, That's where we're at right now.
0: Good job, Canada Land Union. And congratulations, Jesse.
1: Duly noted. So, Danny, right after we record this show, I'm going to uh, give an interview to the Hill Times, the politics paper from Ottawa. They have asked me to comment about the CBC. (laughs) What is to be done, Jesse, about the CBC? I got to figure out what I'm going to tell them with you. Uh, I don't know why this is a news story right now. It seems to be like, what the hell are we going to do with the CBC? There's like, when are we not talking about that or asking that question? But specifically, it seems like we're asking that question right now in the news. National Post recently, Jesse Klein, the case for breaking up the CBC. I think I've read that a hundred times before, but let's make that case again. Also, uh, Globe and Mail, Andrew Coyne. If the BBC can move to a pay model, can the CBC be far behind? Is it changes at the BBC that is bringing this question up again? No. Danny, the reason why I am going to be quoted, if I say something smart enough, in the Hill Times, and the reason why all these other stories are popping up, is because right before the holidays, Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez got his marching orders, his mandate letter from Trudeau. And so this sort of like hypothetical, what do we do with the CBC question, is now practical because... The federal government has said, we want changes, and here's what we want, and now it's time for Heritage to execute these changes. and parliament's about to fire up. So, what do I tell them? (laughs) Okay. Well, first of
0: all, I think that there's this perception that you're completely obsessed with the CBC that doesn't bear out in reality. I don't know that you spend all of your time thinking about this. You're not helping situations by giving interviews. Uh, this is like your <laughs> brand, I guess. <laughs> Jesse Brown, guy who hates CBC. like That would be what would it would say under your name if you were on television. Oh, fake news,
1: fake news. Go on.
0: (laughs) But I'm on your side. Like, I don't hear you complain about the CBC quite as much as I think people think that you do. Uh, So first of all, maybe you should say something nice about the CBC, you know, help soften the message a little bit. (laughs) Secondly, that article from Jesse Klein, Mm -hmm. he actually, he's completely against like, art funding or like organizations receiving art funding so he kind of warms to this overall argument that the CBC is in fact like a grant for artistic programs in Canada which that is true, we, we have documentaries we have stories from indigenous communities, stories from other racialized communities in Canada that the CBC pays attention to which otherwise you wouldn't hear but like it was nice to see it kind of clearly spelled out like this person is against Canada promoting a narrative of what it means to be Canadian, um, another person who clearly doesn't take the country very seriously.
1: <laughs> well, he just feels like the free market will, will tell us who we are as Canadians. Listen, what he's describing, he's fallen firmly on one side of it, but there is a fork in the road. And I want to bring listeners up to date with like where this is at, because that does seem like some pretty meaningful changes are going to be um, or potentially meaningful changes are about to happen at the CBC. And I don't see necessarily like the public being consulted in anything more than just the usual navel gazing kind of way. Like something's going to happen. The Post in some reporting on this, they quote the former head of the uh, CRTC or rather the former vice chair, Peter Menzies. And he says, CBC really suffers from a sort of dualistic life as half public broadcaster, half commercial broadcaster. That has to end. I agree with that. It seems like Jesse Klein agrees with that and Andrew Coyne, and they're like, go commercial. I'm like, no, it it should be a public broadcaster. That's always sort of been my thing, is like, just let it be a pure public broadcaster. But opinions aside, here's what actually is going to happen and what the Heritage Ministry has been told they got to do. Heritage Minister, says Trudeau, You need to modernize CBC, okay? You need to ensure that it meets the needs and expectations of Canadian audiences with unique programming that distinguishes it from private broadcasters. Okay. You've got to increase the production of national, regional, and local news on the CBC. You've got to ensure that indigenous voices and cultures are present on our screens and radios. You've got to bring Canada's TV and film productions to the world stage, and you've got to give the CBC additional funding to make it less reliant on private advertising with a goal of eliminating advertising during news and other public affairs shows. Huh. Let's dig into this, Danny, because there's like, there's a lot of room for interpretation, but there's also some very specific instructions there that are pointing to wider conversations and an important piece of context is CBC is in the shits in terms of popularity. I'm not even like, like subjective. Who is, is the news better? Is it more serious than it used to be? Is it too woke? Is it this? Is it that people are going to disagree on this stuff? It's less popular than it's ever been. It's never cost Canadians more money. Uh, their funding is at at an all time high and now the liberals are going to give them more money. I don't necessarily care like it's sort of underfunded anyhow as a public broadcaster. So I don't necessarily care if they give them more money. I'm just more concerned about what it's going to be for. But what did you make of that list of marching orders for the CBC?
0: It's hard to imagine, like you said, that in the middle of everything else that we just spent the first half of the show talking about, that we're talking about modernizing the CBC. So it was, uh, it was sort of a bit of a, head spinning topic to realize, oh, this is this conversation is still going on. Uh, I I agree with you that the CBC has this tendency to do things that are annoying, which is and annoy other media companies, which is like exist in the same advertising space while heavily government subsidized. Now, of course, with the other uh, government subsidies for newspapers, our newspaper bailouts, I think they're weakening their main line of defense that they've had for years because oh, guess what, now your government subsidy program as well. When it comes to giving them more money, if it does wean them off of advertising, I think that's probably a good thing. It leaves a little bit more room for uh, other media organizations in Canada. Like one tendency that I, I feel very mixed about with the CBC is they like to, once something gains in popularity, like podcasting, for example, there they are competing in the same space and making it, that much harder for independent producers to come out and and be speaking. And you can see this, like if you compare the Canadian podcast market with the US podcast market, where there's a lot more independent media upstarts. uh, Whereas in Canada, if you really want to get a wide audience, you're going to go for the network that already gets the most attention, which you know, I guess we tend to think of as the CBC that may not bear out in reality based on their viewing numbers. But, you know, like, like you, I'm like, well, who cares? Like, I I don't expect that it is even possible for the CBC to meet the expectations of Canadians. Like, you know, you and I can't meet the expectations of Canadians. Nobody can do that. That's an impossible ask. Uh, so why even say it? Like, focus on something <laughs> realistic. Like, there are people who hate this organization and want it to die. How are you going to meet their expectations besides, like, abolishing yourself?
1: Wow, what a fatalistic. Okay, no, I I, I have this all sorted <laughs> out. I figured it all out, Danny. Here's what I'll tell the Hill Times. <laughs> like, this matters a lot because the CBC matters a lot. And, look, I was on this committee at CBC to, like, digitize and modernize the national when I worked there. And uh, they, they spent all this money on this big high-priced consultancy firm, Maggot. We called it Maggot. Uh, These these news doctors who would tell you, like, they, they did a big survey of Canadians. And they asked Canadians, what do you want from the CBC? And I don't know how much the survey cost. I could have told them the answer, but the overwhelming <laughs> answer, like 15, 20 years ago, was news. We just want news. Sometimes this gets stupidly interpreted as, like, oh, it's too woke because I'm hearing too much personal stuff. The personal stuff is fine. But what about the journalism about the policy and the societal machinations underneath these identity politics stories? CBC has been leaning away from news and divesting from news and shutting down foreign bureaus and taking reporters away from local communities. And as we're facing a wider news crisis in Canada... Obviously, the role for the CBC is news, and the government is recognizing that by saying you've got to increase the production of national, regional, and local news. It was shameful when they shut down local newscasts during the pandemic at the beginning. So, okay, this sounds good. And I've been saying for a long time, both as a CBC like supporter and audience member and as a rival business person, get the fuck out of competition with me. Go ahead and make podcasts. They make some really good podcasts. Why am I competing with you? For advertisers, that's absurd. Why are small news organizations in small communities that the CBC has abandoned, somebody starts up a news operation in a small community, and then the CBC opens up shop and starts selling ads against that local business person? Get out of the ad business. Great. If that's what the liberals are asking for here, that's fantastic. But I fear that that's not going to happen because in a typical Canadian way, it's just like so mealy-mouthed and imprecise. And even where they say here that the CBC has got to get rid of ads, here's how it's phrased, make it less reliant on private advertising with a goal. You know, you can reach your goal or not, but like we're just, just get the goal. That's what it like, we'd like you to have this goal. And the goal is to eliminate advertising during news and other public affairs shows. Does that include podcasts? If it does include podcasts, it's probably limited to your news and current affairs podcasts. So from my point of view, they're still going to be making like schlocky entertainment stuff that is, you would only make a lot of their content if you're trying to sell ads, get a big audience and sell ads. Like there's no reason to do Family Feud Canada from a public broadcaster's point of view. Mm -hmm, Or true crime stories. Or a lot of their schlocky true crime podcasting. And I'm fighting for that same advertiser as that true crime podcast. So that's me as publisher speaking. Like, I, I have a conflict of interest, you know, as a media critic because I'm a publisher in criticizing this. But, but yes, I want them out of the ad business. It's absurd to me that if you open up a shop, I don't know, selling sandwiches, that the government can open up a shop next to you or fund a shop next to you that's like, you're trying to sell a sandwich for $5. And they're and like, yeah, government sandwiches, 25 cents. Like, <laughs> fuck off. Anyhow... That's what I'll tell the Hill Times. I'm six minutes late for that interview. I think that's all I got to say. Duly noted. That's shortcuts. Danny, thank you for joining me. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. I can be emailed at, jesse at CanadaLand.com. I read everything that you send. Danielle, where can people find you?
0: At Danny Parody on Twitter, or you can email me, Danielle at CanadaLand.com.
1: This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our associate producer is Noor Azrie. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, If you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us by hitting the link in our show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join.